Heads up, if you have any unanswered questions about the Law Practice Program after listening to this episode, we urge you to check out the live information webinar being hosted on March the 16th at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can click to register at lpp.ryerson.ca. We'll toss that link into the show notes for your convenience. It's completely free and you will get all the answers you're looking for. Let's roll into it. This is The Law School Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now, on The Law School Show. What's up? How are you? You know what? I really hope that you're very, very well. This is Chris here for The Law School Show. If this is your first time listening, well, thank you for tuning in, first of all. But you're probably wondering, is the law practice program right for me? You're probably looking for information about the LPP that will help you make a decision about your pathway. Well, let me tell you, answering that question was our specific objective in interviewing Mr. Andre Backus, Assistant Director of the Work Placement Office at the Law Practice Program. Andre is very knowledgeable. He's also very articulate, and he does not shy away from some of the tough questions that Rishi and I put to him in this interview. All that to come in just a moment. But first, let me say, we are currently doing our 2016 call-out for new members of the Law School Show team. Specifically, we're looking for new project managers. Responsibilities of the PMs to develop topics for podcast episodes, coordinate and execute interviews, and produce final audio for air that will be heard by thousands of law students across Canada. Our project managers are thinking about what is important for career development in today's market. They are then developing relationships with people in the profession, networking like crazy, and they're crafting communication skills by asking questions and managing interviews. If you are interested in the role, we're looking for a minimum time commitment of just two hours a week starting as soon as possible for you, and you can apply by attaching your resume to a one-paragraph email. Please do. Keep it sweet. Hit the nail on the head. In that one paragraph, say why you are a good fit for our team. You can send all that info to info at thelawschoolshow.com. In today's interview, Andre talks about the prevailing industry sentiment about the LPP. How does it stack up against traditional articling? He talks about the work placement rates within the program. He talks about the different job opportunities within the program. He talks about hire back rates. He talks about how many jobs are paid versus unpaid. It's the very details that you need to know. Also, and this is specifically of interest to me, it's one of my favorite things about the LPP. He talks about how the program is nimble, how it's able to change from year to year in order to instill in its candidates the very skills that are being demanded of them in the industry, in the current market. Very, very special and advantageous attribute of the LPP. Enjoy the episode. Oh, don't forget to hit us on Twitter. Don't forget to hit us on Facebook. Don't forget to check out the website, thelawschoolshow.com, for our entire back catalog. If you're listening to podcasts, Check it out on iTunes. Get them on your phone. It's the best way to do it. Convenience, information, all for you. Welcome to another episode of The Law School Show. Here again with Mr. Andre Backus, the first three-peat guest <laughs> on the LSS. And uh, we couldn't be happier than you. Andre, how are you? I'm great. Thank you guys so much for coming in again for a three-peat this time, the LSS with the LPP. Happy to give you an update about what's going on with the with the uh, program and where we've gone over the last now two years of having the program running live, and we're getting ready for year three now. So let's start off with the bigger question of what has changed from last year to this year. From the first year of the program, we were obviously building all, all the elements uh, of the program, including the seven areas of law the candidates would be exposed to, as well as the skills that we wanted to highlight, which were critical, and the Law Society has identified as being necessary for success. Uh, 
in this second year of the program, we've been able to even refine that more by including additional activities and tasks within each of the files to give candidates the ability to further develop their client relationship skills, their legal research or writing skills, their ability to use technology and, and data management to help them out when it comes to getting ready for that being that 21st century lawyer. And at the same time now, we were fortunate enough to be able to add in the intensive trial advocacy program. In fact, Jim Seckinger and Sheila Block, uh, who are the pioneers in the intensive trial advocacy area, who developed this entire sphere, uh, were fortunate enough to come along and help us deliver that program over the course of three days during our in-person weeks uh, in the in the first part of the of the program this second year. And they brought along 50 other lawyers with them wow. uh, to help us out with that, lawyers from Tories as well as lawyers from across different organizations to assist us in, in doing it. And it was a great success. And it's a program that many firms out there and lawyers in their early years of practice or mid-years of practice get a chance to be involved with if they can afford it. Um, and in fact, I think, Rishi, you mentioned to me that you've got to wait till year three at your firm to get access to this program. And some lawyers who are able to access it may not be able to afford it because it can cost thousands of dollars to be able to attend. In our case, we were lucky to be able to deliver it to our entire 220 cohort and give them the chance to be able to participate in that. Any other changes to the practical training component We yeah, Throughout the, the training component, we've also increased the opportunity for candidates to be able to have contact with their mentors. So in addition to the mentor acting as uh, the senior partner, if you will, for their virtual firm, they're now not just having meetings with their mentor as a firm, but they're meeting one-on-one -on -one with that mentor to help further build their relationship skills, their networking ability, and also at the same time to be able to get more one-on-one -on -one feedback on some of the work that they have been doing. What can you work on and develop uh, to help you become a better lawyer as you go forward? So that's wonderful. And we've also increased some of the in-person activities that are happening during the, the weeks uh, when candidates are here on campus to help ensure that that intensity and rigor of practice life is present in there so that people are forced to adapt, cope with the stress that will come along with practice, and they're doing it all within a safe-to-risk environment, the environment of the LPP. So when they do get out there to the work placement and eventually in practice, they're ready to hit that ground running and to be able to cope with the necessary tools and skills necessary for success down the road. And all of these one-on-one -on -one meetings, they're happening via Skype, or do you have your own... Uh, platform where so so place? we use WebEx as our platform, and, and the way that it functions is that uh, WebEx allows all the candidates within the program to meet visually with their mentors on the screen and their firm members. So when you're having a meeting of four of you, just like you would in any boardroom, sure, we can sit around the table and the four of us or five of us are here, but uh, when it's online, you're seeing everyone's face as if you're in the same boardroom, and you're discussing live back and forth the issues getting feedback and managing that way. Sometimes the candidates and mentors will tell us that because we they have to be in proximity to each other, they will even meet offline for coffee uh, at someone's office. Uh, they'll meet up the candidates themselves even in person to be able to get things done. Uh, the idea here is that using technology to supplement and expand the ability to deliver services, to be able to manage your practice, be able to communicate with your clients and with your colleagues is critical in our program but we all know it's critical and essential in practice every day today. And it's becoming more and more essential. So if you are not adept with technology and you're not able to function with it, you could be at a great disadvantage within the marketplace uh, right now. So the practical training component is designed to simulate real-world practice in a variety of different areas. Exactly. In the seven areas of practice that we have from business law, civil litigation, criminal, family, real estate, wills and estates, and administrative law. And in each of these areas, the candidates are interviewing clients, they're conducting negotiations, they're closing a real estate transaction using the live database, a copy of the live database that real estate lawyers use every day, uh, which is in itself a very intense program. And we found out ourselves just the other day in one of our webinars, one of our candidates uh, during his time working in Infrastructure Ontario the database is not just used to close real estate transactions, but it's used for a variety of searches and, uh, and getting information that will help in transactional work and in other parts of practice as well. And these candidates are using that database uh, live also to be able to ensure that they have that skill set. They're also using Westlaw and LexisNexis as well to be able to conduct that research, Clio to docket their time and manage their practice, open files, close files, all the things that you'd be doing within your practice every day. And are you, 
the simulation is live, right? In the sense that, I mean, curveballs might happen on a Friday night. So give on us a Friday a, night, give, on a give Friday us, morning. Give us an example uh, of one of those, so, uh, of so the live components. So one of the curveballs that we threw at the candidates uh, in the first year uh, involved uh, one of the clients calling from prison. They just got arrested. They're in jail. And uh, on Friday morning, early, they're getting this phone call. I need help. I'm, I'm, I'm in prison. And uh, they've got to get back to that client. And that phone call is coming out live to them at that moment in time. They didn't know it was coming. Uh, and the entire program is designed that way. You don't know what is coming tomorrow or the day after or the next week. There's no syllabus to follow. It's real life. Things happen. So they've got to react within a period of time to that person. They've got to give them the advice. And they've got to submit that advice. And, and the technology is all there for them to do that. In addition to that, they could have a motion that was going to be argued on Thursday. All of a sudden now it's being argued Monday morning. And maybe you got to work all weekend to get ready for that. But that will happen. You know, things change in life. Uh, emergencies occur uh, with the courts or emergencies happen with your client uh, or things are occurring that you may not have necessarily planned for, but you've got to adapt to it and, and roll with it. Um, so we encourage our candidates to plan their life accordingly, to have contingencies in place, because when you're in practice and you're out there servicing uh, the public and the population, you need to be ready to react because we are in a service profession and an industry that requires us to react. Can we talk about that motion example that you just gave? So, sure. so is the client, is the student actually arguing the motion? They're providing the. Uh, the, the how, does, how does the process the, work? So, when it comes to arguing a motion, you've got to have done the research. Yeah. You've got to prepare your materials. You've got to be ready to get on live on WebEx if that's the case to be able to argue the motion live in front of someone who's going to make a determination and you're being assessed there. Oh, really? Uh, so they or, are, there's actually a component of yeah. them at, like, well, you, actual advocacy. Oh, absolutely. And then, in fact, during the in-person week, um, they've got their motion scheduled and they're arguing before justices, whether it's here on our property or at the courthouse, uh, because we have access, fortunately, uh, to the courts at university and we have uh, uh, motions and, 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 and trial pieces that happen within those same courtrooms. So it's not going to be unfamiliar territory to our candidates should they have to appear there with their clients. In fact, they will already have done that during our program. So full-time and rigorous, for sure. But there are additional opportunities for development for those candidates who yes. want to go after them, specifically uh, the business development plan and access to justice exactly. platforms. Can you speak to those a little bit? Sure. So when it comes to A to J, one of the initiatives that we have uh, as part of the program we, we want to try to encourage forward thinking and also our, uh, an awareness and a sensibility of the need for access to justice in our community. Uh, Chief Justice Strathy uh, of the court here in Ontario um, is uh, you know, a big proponent of helping to look at how can we uh, use technology, how can we streamline processes, how can we uh, increase access to justice for folks uh, out there. And we've tasked each of our virtual firms with that challenge. And what they have to do over the course of the uh, training component is work as a team to figure out what it is they would do to help increase access to justice. So we've got a number of different uh, pitches that the candidates will come up with and ideas. Uh, eventually, they make a written submission with those ideas. The top seven uh, firms that are chosen by a panel reviewing the ideas uh, will then pitch live in front of folks like Justice Strathy and others um, who are leaders in our field what their idea is more sort of like Dragon's Den style. Hmm. And that evening, uh, a winner is selected, a winning team is selected, and that winning team then is given the opportunity to work with our legal innovations on our sister uh, department here at Ryerson, which Chris Bentley, our executive director, also heads up. And he, they are given a chance to work with them to see if they can bring their idea to fruition. Cool. So the team that won in the first year had that opportunity, and then team two this year uh, also has that opportunity to, to, to do it. Um, and the prize for winning the challenge as well is that they get a chance to sit down over lunch with Justice Strathy and have a private lunch where they get a chance to discuss their idea even further. Juicy. Yeah, so it's pretty neat. It's quite neat. The business plan that you mentioned uh, also is a component that we included um, as a requirement within the program because we all know that uh, in addition to the legal skills that we all are required to have, the profession is changing rapidly. Financial literacy skills on how to deal with um, running your practice are absolutely critical and essential. Um, so candidates are tasked with putting together a business plan with the help of RBC as the uh, bank who works with us on that piece of the program. And uh, when they put together their, their business plan, they submit it. 
the plan is reviewed and feedback is provided. And the idea behind all of this is that they're going to increase their financial literacy skills, their, their planning ability, their ability to look at, you know, the business of law itself, that yes, you know, you're going to have your client, you're going to have the things that you need to do, but you also need to make sure your business is running in order to be able to serve your clients and pay your bills. And as part of that, they're, they're learning that, that technique. And eventually, the hope is that they can take this business plan with them down the road. So let's say someone does decide to open their own practice down the road. You could basically take that plan, rip off the title page, uh, rejig it a little bit to fit the needs of whatever it is you're opening, and be ready to go to a bank and discuss the potential for getting that loan that you need or that credit line that's required to get that business off the ground and to be able to, to move forward. So it's essential. Um, it's not just the legal skills but it's the business skills and the mm -hmm. financial skills that uh, folks need to have. And it's essential, and we wanted to ensure that we incorporate that in the program. So when the candidates submit their work, who is reviewing it? What kind of feedback do they get? Uh, what, what does that process look like? Sure. So basically, um, the there are over 170 different lawyers involved in the training component. These are all practitioners who have their business running, who are doing the, their, their jobs uh, as practitioners, and they are now either acting as a mentor for the virtual firm and those mentors are responsible for reviewing some of the work that the candidates produce and providing feedback. Um, so let's say that you are one of the mentors for that virtual firm. You would have a set of rubrics that we provided to you that provide what an ideal answer should contain, what it may be an answer that's not as ideal, uh, may be missing, and so on. And they will then review some of the submissions, whether they're written documents, um, meetings that have been observed uh, with the candidates, and they'll provide feedback to the candidates on that material. In addition to that, though, we also have a roster of assessors who are practitioners that when we have larger uh, submissions or a lot of things happening at one time, those assessors are now online, able to review the work and provide feedback to the candidates. Uh, then on top of that, we have a number of lawyers who will come and spend their time with us during the in-person weeks to act as in-person assessors. So those that can be judges who will be the people that uh, folks will argue motions before. Um, they will be lawyers who will be looking and reviewing someone's technique and interviewing a client. Um, and they will provide feedback on the spot and will also document that feedback that will then be shared with the candidate once again. So the idea is that candidates are getting assessed throughout the training component and they're getting assessment on a regular basis so that they can improve. They're not doing one activity and then that's it. They're actually doing, let's say, that client interviewing activity several times over the course of the different files that they're working on. So they're getting a chance to develop that ability, further refine it, and hopefully you know, exceed expectations by the end of the training component because they've had a chance to do it again after receiving feedback, um, in addition to some of the submissions that they make as well. So we're trying on, on many fronts to ensure activities are repeated uh, in different ways and different files, so people are getting accustomed to them and they're being able to, to adapt uh, to the advice that's being provided. We are nearly through the second year of the LPP. Um, what is the prevailing industry sentiment about the role and effectiveness of the LPP as compared to traditional articles? Sure. sure. You know, as you both are well aware, um, it's a young program. We've got two years under our belt so far, or almost two years as we are now wrapping up the, the second uh, uh, cohort here. Um, and we are marketing and, and getting out there in the community to share information about the program. But there are 46,000 lawyers in the, in, in the bar here in Ontario. So we're constantly attending association meetings, uh, conferences. Uh, we're visiting the law schools on a regular basis to be able to share information about the program. And the idea here is that um, as folks learn about the program and they get more information about it, the constant refrain that we get from lawyers in particular is that, wow, I wish that program existed when I came out of law school because these are things that I had never done. I didn't know how to talk it. I didn't know what a trust account was. I didn't even know how to create a business plan. They didn't teach you that in law school. And also, too, in some cases, I never even met a client until my third year of practice. Um, so the idea here is that we want to give folks all those opportunities right up front. And as lawyers hear about this, they become more and more interested and, in fact, want to get involved. Um, for those that are still maybe... Uh, misinformed or have no information at all, it's hard for them to make, uh, uh, I guess, a comment about the program because they don't have enough to work with. Right. So I'm always happy when someone comes to me and says, hey, I want to learn more, or here's what I think about it, and then I can actually explain what it's about. And then that way we're able to clear the air and help them to appreciate. So as more and more people learn, they're getting uh, an, a, an opportunity to be able to 
truly appreciate what the program's about, but then we're hearing back from them, how can I get involved, or I wish I had this when I came out. And that's reflected in the roster of mentors that we have returning to us and new ones who want to get on board. It's reflected in the employers that are coming to us now and saying, hey, I heard about this, or one of my colleagues had one of your candidates. They said it was a great opportunity, and in fact, um, I could use some help in my practice. When can I sign up, or when can I get someone? Or can I get someone now? And our response is, well, okay, here's how the program is laid out, and here's when we can get you someone, and uh, here's what we need to do to make that happen. Um, so it's it, it's coming along, but um, you know we've got now 220 ambassadors from the first year who are out there helping to share more information. Another 220 coming out of this cohort that will help us to uh, be able to continue to spread the word. And we hope that you know interviews like this and other things that we do will help to spread the word even more. For sure. Yeah. Let's focus now on the work placement component of the program. Sure. So first year, how many students were part of the program? How many got placed? So technically, uh, when it comes down to the numbers within the program um, of the of the uh, the first year, we had 221 exactly, okay. and all 221 were placed, so 100% placement. Okay. Uh, this year, we have 220, and all 220, 100% again, have been placed. Um, so we have a 100% placement rate, which we're very proud of. Very proud that we're able to do it, particularly in the fact that we have a very tough economy that we're working with, an economy where lawyers are being battered at every turn. Uh, there's, there's a lot of stress on what's going on within practices, within organizations. Uh, budgets are tight. Uh, but we've been able to create the opportunities. And when I say create, we are creating jobs that have not existed yeah. uh, within the marketplace. These aren't folks who advertised a job and now we're coming along and saying, hey, would you want one of our candidates? These are jobs that were not advertised, were not discussed, were not out there before. So in total, 440 plus opportunities we have created in the marketplace that didn't exist before. That's an important point. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, it's critical that people appreciate that because um, these were not jobs that students could have had before uh, or, or applied to uh, or even maybe create themselves. But we as a program, our coordinators, Gina, Chris, myself, we're out there talking to employers, talking to the community, drumming up that business, as we call it, because it is a business, to get those opportunities in so candidates have the chance to apply. We also encourage candidates, if they have a previous employer that they've worked for, and maybe they have a great relationship with them, and it turns out that organization has an in-house legal department or has a lawyer on staff, Mm-hmm. Let's see if we can work with that, those folks to help them appreciate what skills you've gained now and maybe create an opportunity with them for you that could work. And you've already got the ins and outs of that organization because you've worked there. Now let's get you working with the legal folks there and, and you can add even more value. And you mentioned this year you had over 200 different employers. Yeah, yeah in both years we had well over 200 different employers. Uh, so that's a lot of work. And in fact, uh, to get those 200 uh, different employers, it takes thousands of phone calls and I literally mean thousands of phone calls in our our um, uh, coordinators and we all actually in the office all have your headsets that we wear that are wireless and you get so used to having your wireless headset on that at times you want you leave the floor and go to the bathroom you realize I've got the headset on <laughs> don't answer it when it starts ringing kind of idea um, everyone is so committed to ensuring that they get back to prospective employers that they make the outreach effort to create these jobs um, when it comes to in-house opportunities uh, close to a third of our opportunities are with in-house counsel departments within organizations jobs that never existed before folks that never really hired students in the past because they didn't have the internal infrastructure to train them, to get them up to speed, to make them valuable to be able to help them. Well, the training component in the first four months gets them up to speed, gets them trained to be able to hit the ground running, to be able to add value when they get to the on-site location. And in fact, uh, some of our candidates from last year were hired back on full-time with their employers in those in-house council legal departments. Others were hired full-time in uh, private practices, some were hired back in government, some were hired even above article folks who were uh, in those organizations already for a full-time role because they had the skills to be able to compete. And when it comes to, and I think you're going to ask me probably, as I was asked just uh, two Saturdays ago at a conference I was speaking at, what about hire back? What's the hire back rate for the program? Yeah. Well, let me answer that right up front because I think it's important that people appreciate uh, what hire back is and the number of licensees that we have in this province every year. There are close to 2,000 licensees every year in the province of Ontario, people who are seeking to get called to the bar to get their license. 
Um, of those 2,000 licensees, Bay Street, where higher-back numbers are available because they're tracked and, 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 and calculated, 270 of those jobs, or those licensees, are on Bay Street. 270. The remaining 1,700 licensees, there are no statistics in the marketplace for how many, after articling, end up in a full-time opportunity. There are no statistics whatsoever. In fact, I can tell you that the vast majority of those people are people we hear from sometimes and others who are asking for advice on how to find that first opportunity. So they're out there competing for that first-year associate job or potentially opening their practice. The LPP candidates coming out of the program are going to be entering that type of marketplace. Yes, some of our candidates, if they've shone within the opportunity, the employer has a need, they created a job for them, and now it becomes a long-term role, that's great and that's wonderful. But our employers are signing up for that four-month placement. They haven't signed up to say that I'm going to give a full-time job afterward because they don't know what their budgets are like and what their needs are going to be. But if the right person comes along, there is that need now and they have the budget capacity, we're seeing those roles being created on a full-time basis. And that's wonderful. And in fact, sometimes they create the role and we may lose that employer now as having a spot available for a placement in a subsequent year. And that's okay. We understand. They may not have capacity to take someone else on now because they've hired someone full-time. We'll find another employer now. To be able to fill that gap. That's a good problem. Yeah, it's a good problem to have, and it, it's a great, it's a great thing. But when our candidates now are out there in the marketplace, if they aren't hired back, are now competing for those first-year jobs or potentially opening their own practice, we know what skills they've gained from the training component, and we know that they've got the skills necessary now to succeed because they have interviewed clients, they've managed their virtual firm. They've documented their time. They know what a trust account is. They've been involved in the, in the intensive trial advocacy program. They've been involved in uh, working on files where they've had to do things from scratch, and they've been able to succeed in doing that and get feedback. So it's a situation where they now have those skills to compete, and I wager compete on an even stronger basis uh, against those who may not have had the fortunate opportunity to develop those skills and whatever opportunity they were in uh, for those ten month, that 10-month period undoubtedly they're competing with a broader skill set and a better understanding of the current legal market than someone who's gone through a specific garden position within a more specific firm in an even more specific sector of that firm and developing only that skill and that view of the marketplace. Exactly, exactly. What, what percentage of the work placements uh, are paid and has that percentage gone up or down since last year's cohort? So, uh, a very fair question. Uh, last year, we were fortunate enough in our first year of the program um, in uh, a marketplace that was still in flux and a marketplace that didn't know anything about the LPP uh, to create opportunities where 70% of the opportunities were paid and 30% were unpaid. Um, and that was a feat in and of itself. You know, Our goal from the beginning was to try to create as many paid opportunities as possible. In fact, to try to hit 100 if we could. But the reality is the employers dictate what goes on and, and right. what happens, right? So they determine what occurs. This year, in an even tougher economic environment as we're all seeing, and in a marketplace where things are in greater flux than they have been, and in fact, you know, who knows where the economy is going at this stage of the game, we were lucky enough, and I think through hard work and diligence, able to meet those same targets and goals of 70 and 30 that we had last year. We wanted to get to a higher number, maybe 80%, 90%, or even 100% paid, but again, the employers are the ones who dictate what happens. So we were very grateful that we were able to at least match last year's success. And I can tell you going into our third year of the program, we're going to strive even harder again to try to see if we can surpass that success rate and get to an even higher number. But again, we understand their budgets at play. They're un, uh, it's an uncertain environment out there. And the employers are the ones who uh, make the ultimate call as to what they're going to do. But rest assured that our candidates always have the decision in their hands as to what they're going to do. So we post our opportunities uh, in our internal database that our candidates apply to. They see the name of the employer, they see a description of the job and the practice areas, and they see the rate of pay and the amount of pay, and even if it's unpaid. And the candidates get the chance to determine what roles they're applying to and what roles they accept, right? So like it's in the candidate's hands to determine what path they choose to go on. We recognize that some candidates who want to get involved in particular areas that may, uh, let's say, it might be a particular type of clinic or type 
particular type of area of practice that might have an underserved population and um, very tight budgets um, because that's an area that they may themselves want to practice in down the road. Well, it happens to be an unpaid opportunity and they determine that the calculus is I'm going to get real skills and real experience here because that's where I want to be. I'm going to do that. And if a candidate chooses that, they choose that. But if a candidate says, you know what, I really want to work at RBC or at BMO or at um, Scotia Bank or at um, uh, Infrastructure Ontario or somewhere else, they have the choice and they can choose where to apply to and then go from there. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, the employer who's doing the hiring makes the final decision who they bring on board. So the candidates prepare their material and we provide them plenty of advice on preparing their material. The material is then submitted, it's then reviewed, and the employer then makes the ultimate choice as to who they want to interview and who they want to bring on board for the placement. That's right. Um, so now talking about New Year, the new cohort that's going to come in this year, 2016-2017. Right. What are some changes that you guys are planning, if any, at this point of time? Uh, based on the futures report that came out from the uh, Canadian Bar Association recently, and it's available on our website and I think on their website, mm -hmm. uh, they mentioned nine different areas of skill sets that they would uh, are recommending and that they see as needed for young lawyers coming up and for future careers in the practice of law. And uh, we're looking at those skill sets and, in fact, are asking our candidates, were we able to deliver on some of those nine skill sets that, that they are mentioning? And, in fact, we have been doing that. But now we're going to look even further to see how we can boost uh, that exposure, whether it's on the technological front, the data management front, um, the financial literacy front, as well as on um, other skills that they've, they've enumerated there. Because we know that we're preparing folks for the future, and a future that's uncertain within our profession, and a future career that's going to have many twists and turns, like many of our careers do have. Um, so we want them to have tools that they can draw upon, not just for the immediate uh, post-call experience, but hopefully down the road as well in the, in their subsequent years. Good. Um, I think that um, the LPP subject matter experts, the Corporate Council Advisory Board, and the Interpersonal Skills Teaching Center are three sort of under-talked about or un under-known aspects of the sure. assets, I'll call them, of the LPP. They are tremendous assets. So can we, yeah. you know, in a nutshell, can you tell us uh, what each one of those is in turn? We'll start sure. with the subject matter experts. Sure. So the subject matter experts are the folks who are leaders in their field of practice. So these are practitioners who, whether it's in business, family, criminal, real estate, wills and estates, uh, administrative law, or criminal law, they're experts in their field, and they help us craft and develop the, the files that the candidates are working on throughout the training component. So they're the ones who really come up with twists and turns in those files, come up with the practical realities of the file to ensure the experience is as close to real as real can be. They're also, though, acting as a resource for all of our mentors. So the mentors who support the virtual firms, they're the senior partner, let's say, for the virtual firm of four candidates with the mentor. That particular lawyer who's, who's leading that firm, uh, they may be a family lawyer. But all of a sudden now, it's a business law issue that's come up and they're dealing with. And maybe they need some advice because that's not an area that's really as familiar for them. So the subject matter experts are on call for them. And those, the mentors at any point along the way and at any time, literally, they can reach out to those subject matter experts to get support in that area. To say, hey, we noticed this in the file. Was this the intention or is this what we're trying to make happen? Or maybe brief me a bit more about what we are trying to accomplish here. So when they go back to their virtual firm and they're helping to guide the candidates and working on that file, they have the expertise and knowledge behind them. And the subject matter experts give them that comfort. So that way we don't have people feeling, oh, they're a fish out of water. In fact, they have a, a roster and a team of experts behind them that they can easily call upon to get input and advice. So that's how the subject matter experts are being utilized. And then the Corporate Council Advisory Board? So the Corporate Council Advisory Board has been with us from the beginning. And these folks are in-house counsel who are leaders in their field, uh, ranging from large corporations, uh, government departments, and in other areas where um, they have taken an interest in helping to shape the future lawyers that are coming up. And they're giving us advice about the skills, about the types of things that they're looking for when they, they look at candidates and they look at potential hires, the types of things that they are experiencing within their practices. We all know the in-house counsel field is changing dramatically. And in fact, within the current marketplace, these in-house counsel legal departments are growing 
in size because it may be more cost-effective for them to hire and keep someone on a full-time basis within that organization to do the work rather than farming out uh, work that maybe they're seeing on a regular basis to outside counsel, which may cost more. So in-house legal departments are growing and responding to that because they've got to manage their budgets. They also want to make the processes more efficient. So they're giving us advice on what they're seeing, what they're doing, and we're incorporating that within uh, the program that we're delivering. And it's probably not, uh, you know, I guess uh, uh, in this particular uh, situation, a surprise that maybe a third of our uh, placements are with in-house counsel legal departments. So the, this advisory board really assists us in helping to tap into that marketplace, and they also help to provide advice on what we should be looking at and what we should be trying to incorporate within the training component so these folks can hit the ground running when they get into these uh, legal departments. And then what expertise does the Interpersonal Skills Teaching Center provide? So the ISTC uh, has been phenomenal. And in fact, uh, Ryerson is probably the only university that I'm aware of that has this type of department. And the department really is, and we refer to the ISTC simulators as actors because these are trained actors who are part of the ISTC team. But they're not just any type of actor. They've been trained uh, by the ISTC to be able to truly appreciate the backstory of their character that they're playing, the client that they're playing. They've also been trained on how to, to deliver feedback. And they've also been trained in a particular way to be able to embody their role and not get out of character. So uh, when you're dealing with clients uh, and you're seeing our candidates interview the clients, cross-examine people in discovery, or on a stand, these individuals these simulators, these actors, are indistinguishable from a client off the street. In fact, I was fortunate enough to be able to observe uh, some of the will interviews that were happening uh, with one of the uh, uh, one of the uh, virtual firms and their and their client. And I was sitting in the room as as the uh, candidates were interviewing uh, this this individual, and she was so in much in character, and her character was. Uh, a woman who was just recently widowed, who um, had limited um, uh, command of, of the language, uh, and who was also someone who uh, had immigrated not that long ago from Italy in this particular circumstance, this scenario. So, and, and she had three children that she wanted to you know, include in her, in her revised will. So she would be go off in her accent in her stories, about life back home, about a variety of things about her kids. And it was up to the candidate, which this happens in real life when you're interviewing clients, to bring that client back on track, help them get to the salient points that are needed to be able to appreciate what's relevant to help them with their legal problem. So not only do they have to identify the legal problem that's at hand, but they've got to help the client give them the information they need to be able to address that problem. Also, deal with any issues that present themselves in there. And and, and the, the particular client in this situation was constantly referring to one of her children. She's got three, but referring to one of them, to the daughter, saying, you know what, this daughter is going to be the one who's going to help me with all these things, and I want her to get more. And in fact, she's going to be helping you to find out where the money is, and will be helping you to be able to do this. Well, she's a beneficiary in this situation now. So there's a clear conflict and an issue and an ethical concern here. So you you know they've got to identify that, address it, and deal with it. So I watched this scenario unfold and evolve in, in six different interviews with this particular actor. <laughs> when we left the simulation environment and we were out uh, at a reception later on that day and the actors were invited to the reception, I expected without a doubt that this was the accent this woman was going to have this is who she was, and it was going to far from it. Turns out she has a British accent. It turns out she's uh, a lot younger than the, the, the person she was playing. And, um, you know, it really tells or speaks volumes about the quality of these, these actors. And they are fully vested because they are looking forward to, at the end of the training component, because they are working with each of their virtual firms throughout, to be able to meet these folks and, 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 and attend events with them and to be able to thank them for the experience, but also to find out how their careers are going. That's how vested they are in it. And it turns out that the candidates are so vested as well that they want to now see the actors and thank them for, for their role involved. Yeah, totally. And um, it, it's interesting because once in a while, 
things happen in life and maybe an actor needs to change as a result. So, you know, when you're watching a daytime soap and the actor is played by this or the character is played by this actor for so many years and all of a sudden now it's a new actor playing that <laughs> character and everyone's taken aback. Well, our candidates are in the exact same situation. It happens sometimes. Uh, rarest of occasions, you know, something might occur, but um, that's how closely, uh, uh, I guess, uh, involved everybody is and how real the scenarios are. So The ability is, yeah. to actually develop emotional intelligence in a situation like that is so valuable. It's really hard to get at our juncture of a career. It, Parenthetically, it, also one of the CBA <laughs> futures report factors that was named. Exactly, but, exactly. Um, I love that you know, fact. And, the, and, that and, and we all know coming out of law school, coming out of the environments that we all, all come from, these are things that we don't get a chance to work on. And in fact, uh, emotional intelligence and EQ is something that is far from the forefront. And the thing is, though, it's so critical to the relationships you develop in our practices, the relationships you have with your clients, the relationships you have with colleagues. And if you aren't able to start to develop those skills and know how to manage them, and in fact, the EQ comes not only from the relationship with the client, but from the relationships you have with your virtual firm members. You're going to work with people who have different styles, yeah. different abilities, different strengths, different personalities. And, you know, you've got to adapt to those and work with them. It's not going to be like your best friend who you and them are simpatico all the time because you happen to have the same traits and skills, right? And you get along wonderfully. You're going to have folks that maybe you're not going to get along so wonderfully with because each of the virtual firms are created randomly. You don't get to pick who your firm members are. Mm -hmm. They're all created randomly. So you've got to adapt to the different working styles, and you've got to be able to uh, harness the energies within to be able to get the job done. So we're not going to listen to the fact, oh, I don't like working with so-and-so, or they work this way and I work that way. I'm sorry. The workplace is the workplace. You're going to come across people of all stripes and, and ways of working, and you're going to have to adapt, and you're going to have to find ways of getting to common ground and getting the task accomplished. So work on it. Um, you mentioned that the changes that you see in the in-house sphere that are coming up, are there any other changes that you see happening in the legal sphere now in the next three to five years? Now you're asking me to become like a, uh, an OCR or like a or like an oracle yeah. for the profession. And if I had that answer, I probably could do a, a lot of other <laughs> things as well. And I might be like Suskind and his, and his <laughs> son out there on, on the circuit uh, giving advice. Um, um, I think we're seeing greater specialization with some organizations that are practicing privately so that they are able to bring true value to particularly complex and unique issues. I think that's where clients, like in-house legal teams and others, don't have the expertise because they can't be so niche-specific Otherwise, they won't be able to deal with all the other issues that develop in their environments uh, as in-house counsel. So they need to be able to turn to experts in, in the field and be able to get that value-added advice. So we're seeing more and more specialization occurring. And we're encouraging folks that while you are going to specialize, to be able to appreciate then where those trends are and what that type of area is going to be uh, so that you're, you're building your skills. And specialization doesn't mean you do it once. You may develop specialties in a few different areas because... Uh, you might see different peaks and valleys within the needs in, in the marketplace. We're also seeing um, developments within the community as a whole where uh, you're finding um, clients are demanding and requiring greater efficiencies in the delivery of service. Uh, and that's something that our candidates are being tasked with through the A to J initiative, as well as through developing a business plan, but also uh, as we provide PD development sessions to them to help them challenge and think about new ways of doing things. So greater efficiencies is another thing that the profession needs, and that may lead to other career opportunities beyond just practice. So that may mean the nexus between technology and delivery of legal services. And our legal innovation zone, our sister department here uh, at Ryerson, uh, is they're working with 13 plus companies on new technologies and new developments to help make the profession more efficient. Our candidates have access to that when we see something that makes sense and we can incorporate into our, into our program. At the same time though, you can now expect to see new titles and new careers that are out there. There are candidates who may choose not to get involved in particular areas but leverage other experiences they have along with what they've gained here to become specialists in a litigation specialist, uh, a process specialist, a project management specialist, who would have ever thought that you need a project management person 
uh, within a private practice organization or within an in-house counseling department or somewhere else. It's critical because you need to know how things are developing with a particular matter or file and you need to find efficiencies along the way. And, and that's those are skills and careers that we're going to see developing also. So I think uh, if you look at those reports uh, uh, that we've been looking at, uh, you're going to come to some of the similar conclusions that we've reached and you'll see where uh, new trends are happening. I'm not saying though that they're going to predict everything that's going to occur. Uh, let's talk in maybe three years from now and maybe five years from now to see what other developments are occurring because I'm sure their careers and paths that we haven't even thought about mm -hmm. at this stage that will be out there. I think one more question before we let you off the hook. Um, sure. So the LPP is part of the Law Society of Upper Canada Pathways Project. That's correct. So it's still um, you know, in an embryonic stage in that it could be cut off at some point by the LSUC, right? So Potentially? So, so the way that it's structured right now is that we are part of a three-year pilot. That's the initial phase of the program. Um, and, and really the way that it works, and, and I'll describe Pathways just briefly, the way that Pathways uh, is, has been developed is that there are now two opportunities for folks to be able to be, become licensed in the province of Ontario. You can choose 10 months of articling, or you can choose the eight-month law practice program. Those are your options, and those options are there. So the moment you register for the licensing process, you make an election which path you want to be on. Now, the, the pilot phase of the program, so we've been authorized for a three-year run for the program so far. We are now entering uh, or wrapping up our second year as candidates are getting uh, their halfway through their placements. They'll finish uh, their placements. The vast majority will finish their placements by the end of April. Um, and then once those placements finish, um, you know, we'll, we'll be wrapping up this, that cohort. And then our third cohort will begin in August of 2016 with, mm -hmm. with us. Um, we do have a two-year extension, though, that is possible. We are uh, waiting for feedback on that from the Law Society as to what their decision will be. We're looking forward to hearing, hopefully, later this year about that two-year extension. We provide reports on a regular basis to the Law Society about what we're doing. We receive feedback from them, and it's been positive feedback so far about the success of the program. Um, I think overall, when you look at where we this program began back in April of 2014, physically when we actually started to decide, okay, what do we do? How do we make it happen? And actually launch it and get it up and running for everybody to be in it by August of 2014. It's been a tremendous success. For um, sure. And um, the candidate feedback, the employer testimonials, you'll see on our website, in the video recordings on our site as well. I encourage listeners that if you want to learn more, you want to be able to hear from the candidates, hear from our employers who've hired our candidates, uh, visit our site and look at those videos. You will hear from them what they've experienced. You will hear about the um, skill sets that they were surprised that the candidates had and were able to, to do, and in fact, why they chose to hire some of them on a full-time basis. Uh, so ryerson.ca slash LPP is the website. I encourage you visit the site and, and learn more. The moment we are told about the extension and we are crossing fingers and knocking wood and looking forward to it, uh, we will uh, post that on our website as well so people are aware. Yeah. But we, we expect and, and hope for yeah. and, and, and are, are encouraged that um, the program is, is something that uh, everyone has started to see, wow, uh, why, do, why haven't we had this before and how could we ever live without it now that we do have it? For sure. Um, so, so now, if any, I, I second that sentiment fully. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, if any employers are interested in LPP, who can they contact? And if sure. any students are interested, uh, apart from the website, is there somebody sure. you can talk to as well? So let, let's start with the employers. So for those employers who are listening right now and who are chomping at the bit to have one of our candidates, um, I'll just give you a quick timeline so you appreciate how it's going to work. Uh, we begin posting uh, opportunities over the summer for our candidates to apply to. So this coming summer, we will post opportunities in July that candidates will be able to apply to, uh, to then begin their work placement in January of 2017. So if you would like to provide a work placement for January of 2017, uh, I encourage you to reach out to me directly. I have no problem with that. It's andre.bacchus at ryerson.ca. We also have a general email box for work placements, which is lpp.wpo at ryerson.ca. You can email us on our website. We have a section dedicated to the profession. So if you click on for the profession link there, 
you will see the form that you need to complete. It's a one-page document that we ask you to complete, just a one-page document. That's the extent of the material that we need from you, and we will then take care of everything else. And we will uh, get your job posting ready for you, and we will make sure that we get your candidate uh, applications to you, and we will make sure that we uh, get the placement agreement in your hands so you and the candidate can sign once you choose to hire someone. Um, so I encourage you, uh, please do participate. Uh, you can also see on our website a list of the employers, the 200 plus employers who participated this year by clicking on our thank you link and you'll see um, the ad listing those employers. And it's in uh, today's edition of the Ontario Reports um, uh, as well. You'll be able to see that. Um, for candidates who are interested and want to learn more about the program, uh, LPP at Ryerson.ca is the best link for you to be able to email to. Um, so that's the best email address to get in touch with us on. And when you email, a member of our team will definitely get back to you and answer your question. Um, I encourage you, there's a section on the site that's titled for candidates. Click on that section. It will give you a lot of information. There's an FAQ that will really also help answer some of those frequently asked questions that may be on your mind. And I encourage you to watch the recorded webinars that we have there for you as well. If you can join us on March 16th, uh, register for the webinar. The link is right there on the main page for you to register. And you can ask questions live to our folks when we have the webinar uh, happening. And during that webinar, I will be participating. Chris Bentley, the Executive Director, Gina Alexandris, the Director, as well as two of our candidates, an alum, as well as a current candidate will be participating to be able to share their experiences with you as well. Beautiful. Very nice. Any closing words from you, Andre, before we sign well, off? I, I, you know, I thank you, gentlemen, again for spending a, an evening with me and, and learning more about the program. I thank you also for sharing this with the community. Um, if you or anyone else has further questions, feel free to reach out to us. Again, uh, visit the site, ryerson.ca slash LPP. It'll be a great starting point for you. And, uh, you know, keep fingers crossed. We look forward to uh, our next uh, and upcoming year, the third cohort, and look forward to, to the extension as well. And hopefully becoming a permanent feature on the landscape of licensing in the province of Ontario. And actually, just, just as, a, as a, another plug, uh, I'll be speaking in Boston uh, in April to uh, the over 1,700 um, law firm uh, recruiters and law school directors who uh, participate in this annual conference. It's an organization that uh, many of us belong to from leading firms and leading law schools uh, across North America. Uh, about the LPP and about practical training and preparing lawyers for the 21st century. So the ground that we're breaking here and the path that we're charting may be a path that we'll be seeing uh, appearing more within uh, bars in the province of California, maybe in New York as well, because many uh, law schools and uh, law firms and licensing bodies are looking for more practical training and experience. So we're out there trying to educate the community more about what we're doing and in fact we're hearing uh, positive feedback about wanting to learn more so that they can maybe implement something similar in their jurisdiction so it's a uh, it's pretty cool uh time to be part of the lpp and a pretty cool time to be, to be building it cool indeed keep up yeah. the good work thanks thank so much, you so much Andrew. thank you you've just been listening to the law school show you can find all our episodes on itunes stitcher or at our website at thelawschoolshow.com. If you liked what you heard, like us again on Facebook and get the latest updates from The Law School Show. Career advancing advice, right to your earbuds.